This morning we're going to look at three areas of being thankful. We're going to focus on developing thankfulness, how can I be more thankful, persisting in thankfulness, what does being thankful look like in difficult circumstances, and motivation in thankfulness. How can I be motivated to give thanks when I have so much to grumble and complain about? We'll start with an example from the persecuted church before looking at these three areas, developing, persisting, and motivation for thankfulness. Some of you may be familiar with Open Doors International and their work behind the bamboo and the iron curtain. Ronald Boyd McMillan, a writer and journalist for Open Doors International, describes a most surprising example of thanksgiving he came across when visiting Beijing. It was just a few months after Tiananmen Square massacre as he made his way through back alleys and up three flights of stairs of a dingy apartment building. There he quietly knocked on the door of an address he had been given. He was welcomed into the room by three elderly gentlemen dressed in suits. However, he seemed to be interrupting a celebration. Please join us, they said, pouring out an extra glass of a particularly strong spirit. We're about to drink a toast to the memory of the man who did most to bring revival to our beloved China. And though Ron was not a drinker, he was happy to join them. So the glasses were raised and the three men chorused to Mao Zedong. And Ron splotted into the glass. And it wasn't just because of the spirits. <laughs> to who? To Mao Zedong. Why? He was just a monster, wasn't he? Well, we thought to ourselves. And they took it in turn to explain why they would be toasting the great persecutor of the Chinese church. Well, they said Chinese people were never particularly religious. We're too pragmatic. Our culture is Confucian. And Confucius taught people not to waste time asking unanswerable questions like, does God exist? He counseled us to focus on truths to live by, practical concerns. So as a culture, we were not a religious people and we certainly don't let gods interfere with our making money. And that's why Western missionaries struggled in China when they first came. We Chinese were far too pragmatic and materialistic to be impressed with such an otherworldly gospel. One of the other uh, suited gentlemen took up the explanation. But then along came Mao Zedong and he changed all this. He told us that we were going to build heaven on earth he said we would build it by truth and it could only happen by faith in each other and that we would build an eternal China. He gave us hymns to sing and a sacred text, the little red book. Thousands and thousands would gather in Tiananmen Square and we would sing when he came on the balcony. In unison, they would slap the books to their chest. He was teaching the people to worship. But Mao was a jealous God who closed churches, burnt Bibles and jailed pastors. He killed off the visible church and he killed many, many Christians. And it was a terrible, terrible time. But then in 1976, he died. And after a short while, travel restrictions were lifted and a few of us remaining evangelists set to work. But we were amazed. In fact, we got the shock of our lives because many, many people were quick to accept the gospel. They said to us, this must be the God Mao taught us to look for. We thought Mao was the one to save us. 
But he cannot, he's dead. We see now it must be Jesus. And so by the 1980s, a revival involving huge numbers began to sweep through the rural China and then into the cities. And it's a revival that's still going strong and is the longest and the greatest revival in the entire history of the church. And this was the reason that the three men and Ron were raising their glasses and gave thanks to God for Mao Zedong. One of the men added, Mao meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Mao was used by God to prepare this country for the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit ever seen in the church. He planted in the hearts of our people the desire for true religion. Then when he failed them so spectacularly, they kept seeking until they found the one true God. And then one of the men finished, but it was simply awful to live through. What a surprise. Who would have guessed that God used the chief persecutor of the church to start a revival? And this story is by way of introducing the core teaching of this morning's verse, key verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. You'll find that in your handouts. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. And that's what these three Chinese gentlemen were doing. Here we have quite a surprising but authentic example of giving thanks in all circumstances. So bringing it back to us, how are we to develop thankfulness in our lives? Uh, it's a command. It's not an optional extra. So how can we develop thankfulness? Well, it's in the immediate context that we find help. Uh, from verse 15, just a few verses earlier from Verse 18, we have this. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, and then we have our verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus. Now these instructions are a package deal. They're not to be read in isolation. Each command feeds into, bolsters and supports the next. So in verse 15, we are told we are to resist the urge for revenge, not to hold grudges, but to be kind to people. When we do this, this will produce joy in our lives. So that's verse 16. Once we have that kindness and joy operating, then prayer will be more authentic and more real. That's verse 17. And then this in turn will lead to us being more thankful. You see how there's a progression going here, a progression. What happens is we start with kindness, especially in the face of those people that are unkind to us. This encourages joy to rise up naturally within us, which leads to prayer that is authentic and genuine and an outflow of thankfulness. Elsewhere in the Bible, we find joy, prayer, and thanksgiving as a very powerful combination. Uh, we see this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now these three verses, or these few verses, are a sermon in themselves. But notice the combination of rejoice, of prayer, and thanksgiving. 
And so how are we to increase thanksgiving in our lives? Well, there's a number of ways, but one way is to be kind in the face of injustice or unpleasantness to us. And this will produce joy that results in prayer and overflows in thanksgiving. That's how we can have our character moulded and shaped to be more like Christ. But how can we persist in thanksgiving? Verse 18 would be nice and straightforward if it was just give thanks. And that means we could qualify that as we want to. But God steps in and says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, there are two reasons why we need to give thanks in all circumstances. There's an obvious reason and a not-so-obvious reason. Now, the not-so-obvious reason why we need to give thanks in all circumstances is when things are going well, when circumstances are good. Now, you'd think that we would naturally give thanks when times were good. But sadly, human nature shows us time and time again that we are prone to forget God and take his blessings for granted in times of ease. All through Israel and the church's history, we see God's people forgetting God and his ways when circumstances are good. So that is why, even in the good times, we must discipline ourselves to give thanks, like we have today. There's a proverb that I find very helpful, very challenging, but very helpful in this. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Now, why would someone pray that? Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? You see, once we have times of ease and plenty, it's very easy to forget God. And so we must develop the habit of giving thanks because it keeps us focused and not taking for granted. And the proverb continues, uh, or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. And so the psalmist's plea was not to have too much material wealth or not too little so that I can be focused in giving thanks and honouring God. So that's the not-so-obvious reason why we need to give thanks in all circumstances during the good times. But most of us would know that that qualification is so that we are reminded to give thanks when circumstances are grim. Now, straight away, I need to clear up a common misconception. We don't give thanks for all circumstances, but we give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, let me give you an example to help you understand the difference. When a loved one dies tragically and unexpectedly, we don't pray, thank you that my loved one has died. We pray like this, Lord, I thank you that you have promised never to leave me. I thank you that your word comforts me. Lord, I thank you for the special times I had with my loved one. Thank you for family and friends that are helping me through. You see the difference? We don't thank God that our loved one is taken away, but we thank God that he is always with us, that he will comfort us. We thank him for his blessings that we can see. Anne has given us a wonderful example of that today when she got up and thanked God for all the blessings that he has been to her as she misses Lane. And so, can you see the difference? I'll give you one more example. You might suffer a major financial reversal. The financial situation is so bad you walk away bankrupt and a reputation in your field is completely destroyed. 
Now, in the midst of the chaos and the pain, we don't thank God for financial ruin, but we thank God that he is bigger than the mess that we've got ourselves into and that his plans for us are good. And we cling to his promises and thank God for his promises like Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, to give you, not to harm you, but plans to give you a future and a hope. So in the midst of grim times, we don't thank God for what's happening, but that he is faithful and will never lead us. And because of the cross, no pain need be wasted. And this brings us to the third area that we're going to look at. We've sort of briefly explored developing thankfulness and persisting in thankfulness. But how do we get motivation? How are we motivated to be grateful? I mean, many of us have so much in our life that we can grumble and complain about. So we look at these three commands here. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And and we think, God, are you for real? Who is joyful 24-7? No one's like that. And to pray continually? I can barely pray five minutes before my mind wanders and I'm distracted and working on a shopping list or the chores for today. And to give thanks when it's, I've got so much to grumble and complain over, this is impossible. It's too hard. Was it just me? or Do you feel like that sometimes when you read the Bible? It's like, this is way too hard. And you'd be right. These three instructions alone, joyful all the time, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, these three alone can overwhelm us, let alone all the other instructions in the Bible, except... And it's very important, except the way that verse 18 ends. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And it's the in Christ Jesus that makes all the difference to our motivation. You see, our primary focus in our work with God is not obedience to the Bible's commands. That's secondary, important, but secondary. Our main focus is the person of Jesus himself. Christ is our focus, our motivation, our end goal. As every affection of our heart is captivated by Christ, all these other things will fall into place. Being found in Christ is our motivation for our walk with him. My go-to verse for being captivated by Christ is Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. In the same way that a lover fixes their eyes on the object of their love, so are we to fix our eyes on Jesus. If you're fixing your attention on spiritual disciplines and making sure you read the Bible and pray every day and all these things, important that they are, our attention is first and foremost to be fixed on Christ. Everything else will flow from that. We are to give thanks because Christ is the author of our faith. This verse tells us clearly that Christ gives us our faith. Saving faith is never from ourselves. It is always a gift. And not only does Christ give us our faith, but he perfects our faith. The small faith that we start with 
he then perfects and grows to maturity. The second thing this verse reminds us of is to fix our eyes on Jesus and the cross on Calvary. What did Jesus do on the cross? As we ponder, meditate, imagine, reflect on Calvary and on his death, but his glorious resurrection, we find that our hearts are moved and thankfulness naturally wells up inside so that we can be like the Apostle Peter describes in 1 Peter verse 1.8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Isn't it a wonderful verse? No, None of us here have seen Jesus, but even though we haven't seen him, he's reached into our lives and we have responded with love and we believe him. And as we press into Jesus, we tap into a surprising but wonderful, inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what it's like to have your heart captivated by Christ. When we're found in Jesus, having the affections of our hearts captivated him, we will be filled and overflow with thanksgiving. So let's tie this together. What have we covered today? What have we learned? Well, giving thanks in all circumstances is not an optional extra for the super saintly or the heroes of our faith. God expects all of us to be growing in thankfulness, to be better at it this year than we were last year, and to give thanks in all circumstances. And for many of us, that can seem impossible, but we have not been left to ourselves. We can develop thankfulness in a number of ways. We've looked at one way, that progression, progression of being kind, especially in the face of people that are unpleasant to us, That leads on to joy and prayer and then thankfulness. There are other ways to grow, but that's one way. And then we've been reminded to be persistent in thankfulness, especially when things are good, because our tendency is to take God for granted and not be thankful. But also, especially when circumstances are grim, that we don't thank God because of the grim situation, but because he will never abandon us, He has promised to be with us and will bring us through the other side to times of good times and pleasant times and times when it's more natural to praise him. And finally, we've looked at the motivation for thankfulness. It's such a big ask and our capacity is so small. Yet as we are found in Christ, all of heaven's resources are available to us. As we fix our eyes on Christ, making him the main goal, the chief goal, and our end goal. As we do, thankfulness becomes our very lifeblood. Giving thanks becomes embedded in our spiritual DNA. Every breath we breathe becomes one of gratitude. As we look to the cross and Christ's great love for us, then we fall to our knees, raise our hands, and give God all the glory. For though we have not seen him, we love him. And even though we do not see him now, we believe in him and are filled with inexhaustible and glorious joy. Let's pray.